0: There he goes, one of God's own prototypes. A high-powered mutant of some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live, and too rare to die. Welcome to Episode 91 of the Digital Freemason Podcast for the week of September 1st, 2008. I'm your host Scott and I'll be taking you along my excellent adventures through the world of short Masonic educational papers. As always, this and all other papers are available at the website, www.thedigitalfreemason.com. I encourage you to swing by and check them out. And this piece comes from uh, Brother Phil Croft, who is a member of, uh, in British Columbia, of the King David Lodge. And he wrote an interesting piece here that deals with the working tools of an entered apprentice mason. So I was kind of waffling as to whether or not this should be something I should do. But I thought, oh, what the heck, I'll give it a shot. I think he has some very good points in here that are applicable not only to um, the Masons, but just even the general public. And uh, I still, I don't see this as being part of the secrets of Freemasonry. Some things that we need to to, uh, guard. So we'll get on with it right now. And this piece comes originally from uh, was in the uh, the bulletin from the uh, Grand, on the Grand Registry of British Columbia in 1974. All my life I have loved tools. At a very early age I was taught to use them and care for them. I have much treasured collection of them, and as a professional engineer, tools have, of course, been very much a part of my life. But it is natural then that the symbolism of the working tools in our Masonic ritual speak to me with a great eloquence. Of all the beautiful and moving charges and lectures in the three degrees of our lodge work, those which accompany the presentation of the working tools are my first favorites. It has been well said that Freemasonry means different things to different brothers, and these things are purely personal reflections of the undistinguished master mason which may i hope involve some useful musings within this paraplipagon the first instrument placed into the hands of the new apprentice we are told is a twenty four inch gauge or as we should know it nowadays the two foot rule that common implement in the hip pocket of every working artisan its purpose we are taught is to ascertain the extent of the work in which we are about to engage and to compute the time and labor it may cost The first tool given to us as tiny children when we come forth as entered apprentices in the business of life is a priceless gift of our intellect. That faculty by which we are enabled to distinguish one thing from another, the good from the bad, the gold from the dross, and the ability to assess, to compare, to measure, with a two-foot rule, the worth of everything we say and we do. Intellect, added to the years of experience and self-discipline as we progress into a mature age, ripens us and gives us a quality which we should ca- certainly characterize all of our brother masons. The, sma- the smart man measures, as with the 24-inch gauge, the true worth of his every word and act, its honesty, its integrity, its sincerity, and above all, its effect on other people. Again, we we are admonished to observe that this humble tool is divided into twenty-four parts, as the day is also divided into twenty-four hours, and bids us to make proper use of our time, that ever more precious commodity. The one thing that sickens me in contemplating the behavior of some of our street-corner youth groups is the waste of their time. When I was a schoolboy, in those bad days when children were taught penmanship, One of the things which I was having to write as an exercise, and sometimes for my misconduct, went as follows. Lost, somewhere between sunrise and sunset, one golden hour, studded with sixty diamond minutes. No reward is offered, for it is gone forever. It will also be noted that the two-foot rule, in its usual form, is folded into four equal lengths. We are told that the proper use of the hours of the day are fourfold, prayer, labor, refreshment, and sleep. We must not, of course, be too literal, and I don't think that we should really be admonished to spend each day with six hours of prayer on our knees, six hours at the office or shop, six hours at the dinner table, and six hours in bed. It does suggest, however, that the equal importance of all four of these areas in the proper use of our time, and in the making of a full man, nourishment of our bodies by refreshment and sleep, enlightenment of our minds by labor and prayer, real prayer not just that please god gimme 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 that we do on sundays but the the powerful attitude of mind in which every hour of the day we feel the great architect at our shoulder supervising and encouraging our work and ready to answer any true and sincere yearning for guidance and strength and real labor not just putting in time at the office shop or whatever but real all-out dedicated effort for who hasn't experienced a job which comes when we put everything we've got, heart and soul, into a task we know that we can accomplish? And wholesome refreshment, food, drink, and entertainment taken with honest enjoyment, but without gluttony or lust. And finally sleep, as in Shakespeare's lovely words, sleep that knits up the raveled sleeve of care and prepares us for the rich experience of another day. Ah, so many lessons from such a humble tool. With a common gavel, we're pursuing a similar metaphor. It might be said that this is a second great gift with which we are endowed at birth, and that is the gift of energy. Healthy children simply bubble and boil with it. And if it be true that, in the words of our ritual, labor is the lot of man, then it is also true that our God-given energy is the means whereby we accept that lot and wield the gavel at at our allocated tasks in life. To conserve the sources of our energy by the right giving and temperate habits, it seems to me to be a duty implied, if not explicitly stated, by the charge concerning the common gavel. As we pile on the years of our age, our energy becomes less overflowing, and sapped by normal fatigue. We become set up for one of the seven deadly sins, sloth, or as we call it now, laziness, which is a tendency to procrastinate, to put off or to neglect moral tasks which should go to the building of our character into a statue of superb edifice, perfect in its parts and honorable to the builder. Let's say we have a kindly impulse to write a letter to a distant or lonely relative or friend, whose spirit we know would be lifted by a message from us. But, oh, well, I'm a bit fatigued this evening, and there's a very good program on TV. Or, say again, this is a meeting of some organization to which you belong, at which some special knowledge we possess would be valuable help to the committee. But if we did not attend this meeting, and, but went, oh, it's been a rough day at work, or it's not very nice out, or anyway, I might get stuck with a job to do. So we let it go and our reputation for dependability suffers. Which of us, alas, does not recall some good, kindly or helpful action which on first impulse we might have taken, but we have let time slip by, and that opportunity lost. The gavel was in our grasp, but we did not wield it. Truly the rota, the Peridithian, is paved but with good intentions. For the heart may conceive, and the head devise in vain, if the hand not be prompt to execute the design. The chisel, whose principal characteristics in our ritual are its smallness and its sharpness, what gift at birth can we think of as a corresponding to its nature of a diminutive implement of exquisite temper? Our ritual itself supplies the answer, the perseverance, that human quality which says, try, try again, which says, let's have another go, next time the result should be better. That very human quality in us is prepared for to labor long and tedious for the sake of the fine end result. Those of my brethren who had watched the television show of Thomas Hardy's classic novel, Jude the Obscure, will recall the story is about a young stonemason and that each televised episode was introduced by a close-up of a stonemason's hands surfacing a block of ashlar with a chisel and a gavel. Each blow with the gavel produces a short, precise movement of the chisel and removes a tiny amount of material in the working towards the final smooth surface. Similarly, and symbolically, when considering the improvement of our characters as we travel through life, it is that true that the rude material receives its fine finish from repeated efforts alone. The men we admire most are not, for the most part, people who have accomplished some great or spectacular feat of charity, bravery, or moral victory, but those men we know as unfailingly kind and considerate in all little things, men who would never dream of a shabby act even a small one. Men, who angered or aroused, do not slip the bitter, damaging, or irretrievable words, but bite their tongues, count to ten, and then either say something conciliatory to help mend the matters, or else say nothing at all. Such men are irresistible, for the chisel of perseverance is of such an exquisite temper as to make an impression on all but the hardest substances. And indeed, in a, it is a case hardening character who is not ultimately influenced for good by the unfailing acts of courtesy and consideration of a man well-skilled in the use of Masonic tools. Such men are modest, but are well-recognized in their community. When their name is mentioned, people say, Oh, everyone respects him, or, Oh, everyone seeks his advice, or, perhaps, Oh, we can always depend on him. But here, in this abode of friendship and brotherly love, we make use of a different phrase. We say, ah yes, he is a Freemason. So that's Brother Croft's thoughts on the working tools of an entered apprentice Mason. And when I was reading that, one of the things that sort of percolated all into my mind is part of the charge of the installation. Um, At least I know that it is for the uh, Canadian right that uh, my lodges practice here in Calgary, is it talks about the ideals of a Freemason. it starts off with, If you see a man who quietly and modestly moves in the sphere of his life, who, without blemish, fulfills his duty as a man, a subject, a, hus- a husband and a father, who is pious beyond hypocrisy, benevolent, without ostentation, and aids his fellow man without, without self-interest, whose heart beats warm for friendship, and whose serene mind is open for licensed pleasures, who in vicissitudes does not despair, nor in fortune will be presumptuous, and who will be resolute in the hour of danger." It's really sort of harkens to some of the things that we need to apply and I know that uh, that's brought me back to a few of the things that I know I haven't uh, been overly good at, so I need to be sort of doubling my efforts and making sure that I work to take off some of those rough parts off my ashlar. So I will continue to do that as that's the whole in- well, one of the intents of this podcast is to help me keep chiseling away at, at those pieces. So if you'd like to read uh, more of the ideal of a Freemason, come to the website uh, com, and you can find it under the Masonic Musings category. And until next time, this... Uh, will probably be a bi-weekly episode coming up here. I, th- I think i got some time showing up, as well as I've got some, some good topics. I've got some fodder that people have uh, tweaked me with, so I'll have another episode coming up here. Ah, around, probably around the, for the 18th, I guess it is. So until next time, I've been your host, Scott. I've enjoyed our time together. If you have any uh, comments or ideas for future podcasts, be sure to email me at podcast at com. So until next time, keep the shiny side up.